Hi, this is Tim Lauer with Evergreen Public Schools, and today I'm talking with Jennifer Lagarde. Uh, Jennifer is a former librarian and a library consultant, and she's been working with us this year in Evergreen. Welcome, Jennifer. Hi, Tim. I'm, I'm tickled to be here. Thank you. Great, great. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the work you've been doing with our teacher librarians in, in Evergreen? Oh, it's been my favorite work ever. I've spent the last year and a half uh, working individually at the sites at every school with um, self-driven projects with the librarian. So for example, if a librarian is focused on creating a more diverse collection, a more inclusive collection, then we've been working on culturally responsive uh, inventories of their uh, collections and then helping to develop some um, purchasing or lists for book lists for you know to, to beef up certain sections of their library or if you have a librarian who wants to weed a collection I've been working with them on that etc whatever the librarian identifies as being a goal um, for them then I've been helping them with that while also having the pleasure of doing some staff development for them once a month um, in their job light training so so uh, you mentioned weeding um, mm -hmm. to the average library patron, they may not know what that means. What, what does that mean? Well, weeding just means culling your collection, going through the resources that you have and pulling out and deleting those that are older, that are outdated, that contain incorrect information, that have had, um, you know, a slushy spilled on them that you may have, okay. that maybe were really popular in 1973, but not so much now, you know, that kind of stuff, so that you can make room for new copies, but also, even more importantly, that you can have an accurate visual representation of the resources you really do have that kids want, and to make it easier for kids to locate and discover the kind of titles that they're going to capture their attention. Okay. So your um, your background, talk a little bit about the work that you did before you started doing oh, this sure. uh, Well, gosh, I started my career as a middle school language arts teacher. And I taught English and language arts for about 10 years. Then I made the switch to the dark side, to the library, and did that for another seven years at the middle and high school level. Then I became the statewide librarian for the state of North Carolina. I did professional development for all libraries in all of North Carolina for two years. That was a really interesting adventure. Um, then, I, it, it just keeps going, yeah, then um, I went back to district level and was a support person for a district in North Carolina, of, uh, district of 42 schools. So we were, I worked and supported the 42 librarians in that district. And then a year and a half ago, I moved um, back here to Washington State. And in that time, I've worked here in Evergreen, but also done similar work um, all over the country and um, helped schools and districts and in a lot of cases administrators um, leverage the role of the teacher librarian as a really effective partner in literacy and learning in the school. Talk a little bit about what you um, you see the role of the teacher librarian to be. Well you know I, it's funny a lot of people have been asking that, that very question um, recently and the role of the teacher librarian is so big and vast that sometimes it's hard to narrow it down to just a one or two sentences but I ha see a few goals of this work to me that rise to the top. One is I think that the teacher librarian's role is to be a counterbalance to the emphasis on um, instructional how to read, uh, focus on reading that kids get in the classroom. In the classroom we talk a lot about um, decoding of words, learning new vocabulary, deconstructing reading in a how-to mechanics. Um, context, which is really important because that's what they're tested on, right? But the teacher librarian gets to be and should be and I think has an obligation to be 
the Pied Piper of reading and help kids understand the why of reading. Why do we read? We read because it changes us, because it helps us look at the world in different ways, because it helps us navigate the world um, that we live in. So there's that. I also think that teacher librarians have a responsibility to help kids not just be quote-unquote lifelong learners, but to be lifelong interrogators of information, to, to develop the disposition of skepticism, to look at information as not consumption but as a transaction. They have a job to do when they consume information too, which is to verify it and to make sure it's accurate and to determine how they can contribute to that information as well. So that's a big role. I could keep going. but no, that's, um, that's great. Um, and then I think the last thing, which is not any less important, but I also think that libraries have historically been egalitarian institutions that um, by design are focused on equity and so in our schools our school libraries and our librarians have the obligation and opportunity to create these spaces where every kid sees themselves in the resources and where every kid can also explore what it's like to be different from themselves and to build bridges of understanding between cultures and different beliefs and all that kind of stuff so it's a big job but such an important, wonderful job. Right. You recently talked with our teacher librarians um, about student voice and student agency mm -hmm. in the library space. I thought that was a really interesting conversation. It was something I think that maybe, uh, for the most part, everyone received really well, but also opened some eyes in terms of thinking about the library differently. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. I'm a real nerd, Tim, and that won't surprise you at all because we've known each other a long time. But um, I've been really interested in um, the brain, the science of how the brain learns. And one of the things that I've been exploring recently is some research out of the University of Southern California um, that talks about how really neurologically it's impossible for us to learn anything or think deep, deep, think deeply about anything that we don't care about. This idea that, you know, kids have to care about the learning in order to really retain it um, or also learn something that will change them in some way or, or enable them to do things, change their behavior or enable them to do things they never could before. They have to care about that in order for that to really happen. They might memorize something for a test, but then all that information goes out the window if they don't really care about it. And there's so much research that we talked about with the librarians. Um, we actually looked at some brain scans of what happens in the brain when you are learning at a level where you care about it, where you are have an invested interest in the content, your brain reacts differently than if you're just memorizing something. And so that, I think, should have some really deep and far-reaching implications for library work because if we want kids to care about what we're selling in the library, then we have to engage them in learning that is meaningful that they care about, you know? I once walked into a library where, not in Evergreen, I should say, <laughs> I want to preface this, not in Evergreen, um, where teacher librarians were required to post an essential question, right? And um, which we could have a whole other podcast about that. <laughs> and, but the question was, how does the Dewey Decimal System work? And, you know, I'm a smart aleck, so I raised my hand and said, well, I know the answer. Who cares? Because who really cares how the Dewey Decimal System works? Only a librarian. So how can we create spaces where the kids are engaged in 
questions and inquiry that really matters to them. How can we create spaces where kids can easily locate resources that are about topics that are passion or interest driven or that they need because of something that's going on at home as opposed to just spaces that are really easy to search if you know what book you want and know how to operate the card catalog, you know? And how can we give them some agency in how the library functions, whether that's through creating a library advisory board where kids get to select and actually purchase some titles for the library, or it's as simple as self-checking and out, where they get some empowerment to be the person who checks this book in and out for themselves. All of those things provide opportunities for kids to not just care about whatever the topic is, but to care about the idea of library and value the concept of library in their lives, you know. Um, and sometimes that's hard for librarians because we are control freaks. We like things in order. <laughs> we like things to be put on the shelf and when they're there that, that they're all in the right space. But I think giving up that control a little bit is really an important part of what we should be doing for kids in our school libraries especially. Uh, recently, you wrote a book. I did. And uh, talk a little bit about that. Tell well, about that. Uh, thank you. I wrote a book with my friend Darren Hudgens, who um, is, uh, it's hard for me to talk about a position or a, a background that's hard to describe, but we'll call him an educator. That's what we'll call him. <laughs> okay. um, an educator in Oregon um, on the um on teaching critical thinking skills in the age of fake news. Our book is called Fact Versus Fiction. Darren and I were both really frustrated with the amount of fabricated information we were all seeing in our um, social media feeds. And then we also uh, were horrified when the Stanford History Education Group released its study two years ago about the really the inability of students all across the nation and their teachers to identify um, fabricated information or advertisement versus real comp content in online news articles, et cetera. And so we decided, you know, we you, everybody gets horrified and outraged up, uh, on a daily basis by things that they see in the world, right? And you kind of have a choice to either uh, do nothing except gripe about it um, or do something about it. And so this book really was Darren and I trying to do something about it to help gather some resources and information for educators, whether they're a librarian or a teacher or a principal, to um, think about how they can create media literacy programs in their schools to arm kids with the skills they need to be those digital detectives, to be those information interrogators, so that they can be smarter and better than we have been in, um, in, in evaluating the information that we're all bombarded with every day. You've also been doing some outreach. I know you've done some Twitter chats and different things like that. Uh, anything else planned in terms of outreach regarding this topic? Well, um, I we've got our Twitter chat, another Twitter chat coming up towards the end of summer um, that's going to be sponsored by another group. You've caught me off guard with this one, with this question, because <laughs> I'm not sure how much I can really reveal. But we also have a couple ISTE webinars planned that sure. are coming up, etc. Okay. Um, so uh, Darren and I we sort of are like the little silver ball in the pinball machine, you know, like um, we get an idea and then we go that way. So, uh, but you could watch my website, which is... LibraryGirl.com. Yes, um, for updates on that kind of thing, because I'll be sharing stuff Great. there. And we'll put this in the post, too, with yes. the links and such. That Great. sounds good. Um, well, Jennifer, I really appreciate your time today. One, one quick question. What's a children's book, a uh, young adult book, or a book that you've read recently that's really kind of grabbed you? Okay, so this could be another whole podcast in and of itself, but the book I'm really thinking about today 
is called um, The Benefits of Being an Octopus. And I'm, gosh, I know I have the last name of the author right. It's Braden, and I think the first name is Anne. So we're going to go with Anne Braden. Tim's going to verify for me. I'm looking. Okay, well, while Tim's looking up the author. Anne Braden. Anne Braden. Woohoo, I got that right. Um, this is a middle grades novel. Um, that for me, I think most accurately in out of any other book I have ever read, and Tim, I have read a lot of books, okay, <laughs> um, describes and portrays the life of a child in poverty in our school system. Mm. Um, the the main character Zoe want thinks all the time about how her life would be so much better if she was an octopus because with all eight arms she'd be able to juggle all the things that are being thrown wow. at her wow. that the black her black ink would be able to um fend off people who are trying to harm her or harm her family etc um there's one line in the book that after a particularly harrowing experience um she says you know an octopus has three hearts and all of mine are broken wow it's a beautifully written book um, it's a, a perfect middle grades novel, and I really honestly think it's a, it would be a wonderful novel for teachers to explore, right. to think about um, and consider all the things that they might not know are, are going on with their kids outside of the school building and all the responsibilities that so many of our kids have. So, The Benefits of Being an Octopus by Ann Brayden. I'm going to go pick that up. Thank you very so much. So good. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thanks for spending some time with Thank us Thank you, my friend. Anytime. And thanks for your work in Evergreen. Thank you.